Amen. Please take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter number 15, please. Luke chapter number 15. Again, it's a blessing to be with you. And uh, it's uh, uh, today just uh, thinking about the people of Loomis Park Baptist Church. And yo, thank you so much, Miss April, for waving at me. It's nice to see you up there, too. And that means turn your wireless mic on, Pastor Rich. You move around too much. Amen. But I was thinking of our precious church at home and... Uh, uh, by the way, you can go out, I was telling Brother Howard, uh, the elder Brother Howard, uh, that uh, we are the only Loomis Park Baptist Church in the entire world. So if you Google Loomis Park Baptist Church, it's going to take you right to our website. Amen. Boy, that's better than Google advertising, amen? I don't need Yahoo bucks or anything, amen? My pastor, uh, years ago, he, he was at Mountain View Baptist Church for 19 years, and then he went out to... Um, <clears throat> Golden State Baptist College and taught there for several years after they lost a son in a car wreck. He uh, finally, he, the Lord really burdened him and he got back to pastoring again and it was right about the time that I left here and uh, went to Loomis Park Baptist Church and he was asking me about the church and boy, that's a great name. He said, you don't hear that name? And I told him what I just told you. And then he said, oh, that's great. I said, I said, preacher, you, you're, you're getting ready to take a church too? He said, yeah. I said, what's the name of it? He said, Faith Baptist Church, amen. <laughs> There's about a million Faith Baptist churches out there, amen. But uh, that's a blessing. It's a, I, I'll tell you what, I, I um, all these years, um, Brother Mike, and I know you can appreciate it, Pastor, uh, I've never gotten over getting saved. I just, you know, I know we all, listen, Sometimes you hear a preacher preach and you think, boy, that guy never gets discouraged. He never has downtime. Well, I'm here to burst your bubble tonight, okay? We all have dry spots. We all, listen, we all have times where reading our Bible is more duty than privilege. But by the way, when that happens, push through and do your duty. Just... And uh, I tell you what, I just when I think about it, I, I think about what the Apostle Paul said. He said when he said, I think it's First Timothy one twelve. He said, "I thank Christ Jesus who hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, and that He has allowed me through the years to just rub shoulders with some wonderful people." And you know, when you say that, Pastor, people think, "Well, you know, I went to Midwestern Baptist College, and Dr. Malone was our." Uh, founder, and, and that was great, and I had great professors and all that, but when I think of what I'm talking about tonight, I'm talking about people like you. Yeah, I'm talking about, Brother Al, people like your sweet mama, and I loved your mom. I loved your mom. I, she just sit there, and, and, and your mom was just one of those quiet, dependable Christians that every church needs, you know, just... And I, I think about other people. I think about people that are, you know, like Miss Irene that have gone on. I, I think of others. You know, obviously we just had the service for Anna Romanello. Um, I think of Miss Peggy's beloved Jim, uh, brother Jim Isley, was just such a sweetheart of a guy. And I, others. And and I think of people that I knew in in my home church when I first got saved. Lord willing, I'm going to be there uh, Wednesday night, just popping in to to go to the Wednesday service, not preaching or anything. But I'll see people that were there. Brother Benedict, the day I walked in with hair down to here, there's people that are still there. And uh, thank God, thank God for God's people. I, I think about what I would have been doing, or uh, Brother Mike, what I would be doing on a Friday night if I hadn't got saved. 
I wouldn't be good. And it wouldn't be here, that's for sure. And so uh, glory to God for what he's done in your life. Amen. Praise him for it. Amen. Just stop and dwell on it and think about it. Amen. Let's stand. Luke chapter 15. Very, very familiar portion of scripture tonight. And I hope to illuminate it a little bit or or maybe uh, ask the Holy Spirit to do that for us tonight and and, uh, give you maybe just a a little insight, uh, unique. And uh, uh, the title of my message uh, tonight is heading home, heading home, or, uh, you know, I have in parentheses here, from backsliding to back into fellowship with the Father, heading home, amen. So let's read verses 11 through 20, you follow along with me, Luke chapter 15, and we'll give you some introduction and some context and then get into the points tonight. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, Give me. Boy, you ought to mark those two words if you mark your Bible. Give me. Give me. Really? Give me. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Father, thank you for your word. Please bless it to our hearts tonight. Be with that one, perhaps, that has it all together on the outside, but on the inside is far from you was once walking closer to you and with you. Lord, arrest their attention tonight. Be with that one who knows that they're backslidden. I pray that you would please work in a special way. And Holy Spirit, would you, Lord, even as we can feel the cross breeze between the windows tonight, would you breeze through this place tonight? And take this message and apply it to each heart that's here. And Lord, may we be changed because of your word tonight. May it be as a fire and a hammer in our lives. We love you. Thank you for all that you do, all that you are. Bless tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
I remember twice now I have been privileged. We have a wonderful missionary in the Philippines. His name is Dr. Edgar Nono. And uh, I remember he came and preached at our church, and my boys were small, and uh, he, got, he got right down in their face. And I said, boys, come here. I want, you to, I want you to introduce you to this man of God. His name, his name is Brother Nono. And he got down on his, like right in front of my boys and goes, Brother Nono, that's a funny name, isn't it? Amen. And, of course, my boys started laughing. And Brother Nono is uh, just an incredible man of God. Uh, just God has built a work there in the Philippines, and, and uh, I've been privileged to visit him twice. He asked me to come and preach. Uh, they have a tent meeting, 2,500-seat tent filled, absolutely filled. Uh, people come forward each night. Uh, literally, the bulk of the people in the tent come forward to be saved. It's abs- You've you never seen anything like it, especially here in America. Just absolutely unbelievable. And I remember uh, going with Brother Nono and uh, just driving. He would take... We, I preached in the jails. Uh, I preached uh, uh, to the public schools. Imagine that. Amen. Uh, literally just stand there and sing and preach in the public schools. And We'd go by and you would see, first of all, one of, the, one of the things that amazed me most in the Philippines was how close the houses are to the road. I mean, you could step out of your house and get hit by a car, literally. Just, but I remember looking at what passed for a house and being very convicted about how blessed that I was. I think, to, ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest blessings that we take for granted here in the good old U.S. of A. is the ability and privilege of having, living in, and owning a home. Just having a home. I think I think about it. I think of all the homes that I've lived in in my 48 years, all the ones I've been in, all the ones I've enjoyed. Precious time. We had such a blessed time tonight at Brother Ken and Miss Marge's home, and we were talking about the home, the colonial home. Amen. What a blessing! What a blessing! Amen. I think about it. A home is much more than just four walls and a fireplace. Home represents so many wonderful things. Home is a place of unconditional love, isn't it? Home. Home is a place of safety. You know, I, I think about these days, and, and you know, I hope for most of them, uh, these days are gone. But, you know, if let's say you, there was a bully in school. You know, you could always come home where it was safe. Huh? Safety. Hey, listen, home is a place of joy. Lord willing, I'll, I'll pass my home here in a couple days that I grew up in at 8 Linda Drive. And I remember our home. I was an only adopted child, and uh, so no brothers or sisters or anything like that. But every Thanksgiving, my mother's uh, brothers lived close to us, and my dad's sister lived close to us. We all lived within 10 minutes of each other. Thanksgiving was at our house, Brother Mike. And you put in a little 1,200-square-foot house 30 people. And it better be a place of joy, otherwise it's a place of chaos, amen? It was a place of joy. I think about the joy that we had in that home. I think of a home, when I think of home, I think of happy memories. And I understand not every home is that way. Some homes have more difficult memories. But by and large, home place of happy memories. Home is a place of family. 
that you think of, family, being in mom and dad's home, being in a home together. Hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen, when I, I think of how blessed I have been in my 48 years that I have always had a place that I could call home. The home I grew up in, we moved into when I was two years old, and I moved out when I got married. Then my wife and I, oh my goodness, think about these things. We lived at 157 Main Street in Munson, Massachusetts, little apartment. It was, it was a small apartment. It was so small you couldn't cuss a cat without getting hair in your mouth, amen? I'm telling you, it was small. It was small. I remember the first Christmas tree we ever got in that apartment, Brother Mike, and literally uh, you'd, you'd open the door and you'd hit the tree and you'd knock off about 15 ornaments because there was no other place to put the tree. Had a spiral staircase and a loft bedroom, amen? Small, but it was ours. It was a place we could come in, lock the door, amen, and have fellowship and have meals and all that. I think of other places. I think of uh, when we came to, uh, before we came to Harvest Pastor, we lived at 90 Edgeland Street in Springfield, Massachusetts. A mile from the Basketball Hall of Fame. I used to tell my friends, oh, I live in Springfield, Massachusetts. They said, whoa, how's the Basketball Hall of Fame? I said, oh, I've never been. Amen. <laughs> this is right down the road. I could have I walked there. Amen. We lived in this gigantic, gigantic three-floor uh, house. Remember that pastor going up and down those stairs unloading that stuff? And, and uh, it was wonderful, wonderful place. And then, listen, the truth is, my address for two years was 1440 Litchfield Turnpike. Right back behind me where I've been staying these last few nights. Amen. My wife and I lived in the prophet's chamber here. It's wonderful. And then, uh, remember, pastor, we, uh, I remember we, we had the, the cell phone contract and, and the church voted to to sell the rights, and we were able to build the parsonage and put some money down on the mortgage. And my wife helped in the, the designing of the parsonage, and we moved into that parsonage. It was wonderful, wonderful place. And I was telling Pastor, I used to work in Enfield in the aerospace industry, and I used to drive 41 miles one way to Enfield every day to work. And by the way, I loved it. I still do. I, the, the, if there's something I miss about New England, besides you precious people, it's the scenery on the back roads. Gorgeous. And then we moved to Jackson, Michigan. As pastor was out on the ledge. There he was. Those of you that are new, I'll tell you the story. What happened was... Uh, I, I uh, was in contact with Loomis Park Baptist Church, and they were taking resumes and sermons and all that, and, and uh, from uh, 17 uh, candidates, 17, I was one of 17, and I was the first one that they asked to come and, and preach, and, and so uh, we left. It was just Eric and I, and Carrie was out to here with Luke, amen, and uh, don't tell her I said she was out to here, that's I don't want anybody, it's not a fat joke, amen. By the way, I was pointing that out, Brother Butler, I need a new graphic up there tomorrow because I got about this big, amen, and uh, something some stretching the graphic there. Uh, but we, we, we left on uh, what, what must have been a Thursday night, no, Friday night or, or something like that, and I think it was a Thursday night and got there Friday or whatever, and uh, so Pastor calls me and uh, it, I was in, we were in New York, and, you know, you can't answer your phone in, in, in you know, the People's Republic of New York, amen? And uh, so I, I remember whatever we got to, and I saw I had a voicemail, and I flipped my phone open. Remember the days, amen? <laughs> I flipped my phone open, and here's Pastor. He says, all right. 
Oh, oh. You're, you're 72 hours from officially becoming the, the pastor of Loomis Park Baptist Church. But, uh, oh, it's okay. I, I, I don't want you to worry about me. I'm, I'm just, I'm standing, I'm standing out here on the third floor of an empty building in Torrington just wondering what I should do. And, and that's... <laughs> When we moved to Jackson, we, we got out there and, and uh, we, of course, candidated and did, did everything, you know, answered the questions from the Sanhedrin court and all that and, and uh, you know, just went back and forth. Well, they took us house hunting on Saturday. But Brother Howard, they weren't voting on us till Sunday. You know, when you're one of 17, you're like, well... You know, I don't want to be presumptuous, right? I mean, I, I don't want to. We're house hunting on Saturday. We saw a house we absolutely loved. It was the first one we saw. The short sale. Oh, everything new inside of it, $88,000. Right in town. And uh, we went, saw a couple others. Of course, they voted on us that Sunday night, and we, were, we, we were, received the call, and and accepted the call. And the next morning before we left, we said, we're going to put in an offer on that house. And somebody else had already put in an offer on it. I said to him, I said, look, my wife was out to, well, somewhere, amen. Uh, I said, we can't come back. I said, you know, we're, we're going back to Connecticut. We're going to have, Lord willing, have Luke. Uh, and uh, then we'll come back. And so just at that time, it was pretty new. It was... Uh, um, the, the virtual tours. You could do a virtual tour of your house and stuff. And so what we did was we sent a man in our church, Brother Horsch and Brother Jim Jones, no relation to the French Guyana, Jim Jones, okay? Uh, and Brother Jones was a builder, and Brother Horsch was a, um, uh, just a, a guy who, you know, he had a lawnmower that was 25 years old, but the oil was perfect in it and just always maintained things. And so they went and they showed us a house at 815 West Washington, built in 1895, stone foundation. And uh, my wife looked at us, she said, let's, let's try to do that. And so here I am working and trying to send forms and all that. So we went, we left here, we left here and went to see my wife's family in Virginia and then made our way back up to a new house, sight unseen. Bought a house, sight unseen. And then a couple of years ago, I mentioned, now I just, I'm not dwell long here, but we moved into a gorgeous seven-acre farm. Ask me to show you a picture. I'll show you a picture after. And what I'm saying is this. When I think of, and Brother Mike, I know you can appreciate this. When I think of all the traveling that I've been privileged to do, my wife and I were married for 12 years before we had any children. We've, we've been lots of places, really, lots of places. When I think of all the traveling that I've been privileged to do through the years and I always think of the great blessing that it was to head home. I remember I said that to the church. I had only been there a couple of years, and it seemed like every time I'd come out and preach in New England, Pastor, somebody would say to me before I'd leave, they'd say, are you leaving us? I was like, yeah, for a week. You know, I'm going on vacation. I was just like, but literally, they were, they were like, I said, and I, I literally had to get in the pulpit and say, folks, I want to let you know my wife and I, we're going to be going to New England and going to be seeing some precious friends and doing some preaching and taking a couple of days off, and then we're going to be coming home. 
See, I grew up in New England. And there's a part of you where that's always home. You know, Ashtabula, Pastor. Always have a special place in your heart. But this is home for your pastor. Home for me is Rives Junction, Michigan. Home. What a blessing it is to, to, to start to head home. You get excited. I'll tell you what, when I, the last time I was in the Philippines, oh, I got deadly sick. I got a, just a twinge of malaria. And I'll tell you, I couldn't wait to get home. Yeah, got home and went right to the doctor's office. Amen. I, but to this day, listen, when I leave here, Lord willing, uh, next Friday and Saturday, I'll get on I-90 and I'll start heading home. And to this day, when I, I, you get on that, Brother Mike, I know you can appreciate that. You get on maybe that last stretch of highway, you know? For me, it's, I, I, listen, I could, I, I could, I shouldn't say this, I could do it in my sleep. I think I have sometimes, amen? You know, it's, you leave here and you, you take eight up to 90, and then you take 90 to the little cut around Albany, and then you're on 90 again, and you're going through Syracuse and Utica and Rochester and Buffalo and Erie and Cleveland and Toledo, and then you go up, go around 475, and you go to 23. That takes you up to Ann Arbor, and then you get on I-94, and that takes you to Jackson. Take 127 up to the Berry Road exit, Rives Junction. I'm, I, get, I get butterflies. That's home. That's home. You know, I think in my over a decade of pastoring, I have preached out of this text 25 times. That's a lot, Pastor, when I think about it. All the texts that are in the Bible. But I think also how many sermons, Brother Mike, that I have heard out of this text which, forgive me, failed to give the sense of this great passage. A lot of people preach on the prodigal as the interpretation of the passage. It's not. It's an application. You see, the difference between interpretation and application is this. The Bible has one interpretation. 2 Peter 1.20 says, no scriptures of any private interpretation. That's how cults start. They take a scripture and lift it out of context. But Every scripture can have multiple applications for us. If you look at it with me, look, look at, go back to verse 1 and look at me and look with me and say, let's look at the sinful crowds. Look at the sinful crowds. So here he is, and he has just given some, some of the most difficult statements that he has made in the previous chapter. You ought to read it, where he says, if you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. Those are strong words, Pastor. Strong. You cannot be my disciple. You don't forsake all. You don't, uh, you don't put me above family. You don't count the cost. You cannot be my disciple. I think we have too many Christians and not enough disciples. But then it says in verse 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners. The publicans and sinners knew who they were. They knew 
that, that earlier Jesus would say when he was rebuking the Pharisees, he said, hey, listen, I've not come to, to, to heal the whole, but the sick. And he's talking about this. He's like, listen, they know their sin's sick. By the way, that's the key to being saved. You cannot be saved if you don't know you're a sinner. So we see here the sinful crowds. and What are they doing here? They're coming to listen to Jesus. They're coming to Jesus. To see this profound, miracle-working rabbi from Nazareth. But then we not only have the sinful crowds, but we have the sanctimonious complainers, don't we? <laughs> there they are, verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes did what? They did what they're good at, murmuring. You know, if you do something enough, you get good at it. Trust me, the Pharisees, very good at murmuring. That was their thing, their complaint. They murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. By the way, they meant that as a criticism. I'm going to tell you something. Thank God it's one of the greatest compliments that's ever been paid to Jesus. This man receiveth sinners. Aren't you glad? You'd still be on your way to hell if this man didn't receive sinners. Uh, again, I mentioned the Pharisees the other day, Brother Mike. I said, I said uh, that you could just see them with their nose up in the air because they can't even look down on the people they're looking down at. The sanctimonious complainers. The sinful crowds. They think about this, uh, these sanctimonious complainers. Listen, were they happy that sinners were coming to Jesus to get their lives changed? They sure should have been. No. They're upset about it. Listen, I, I hope, and I, I don't think we have anybody in here like this tonight. I hope not. I hope you don't get upset when people get saved. You know what? Sinners have baggage. And you know what they need? They need somebody to help them get rid of their baggage. Not somebody to point out their baggage all the time. Somebody just help them bear the burden. Oh, I can help you with that, bro. Oh, I've been, I've been, you know what? I've been through that before. You're struggling with this. I've been, I've been through that before. I talked to you about that. Sanctimonious complainers, sinful crowds, and then the Savior's counsel. The key to understanding this entire chapter is verse 3. It's the key to this whole chapter. And it's such a short and simple verse. If you're reading your Bible through, you just pass this verse right by. You just read it, and it's kind of quote-unquote, no big deal. I'm going to tell you something. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. You read this verse, you say, that's the key verse? Yes. And he spake this parable unto who? Them. Okay. Who's the them? The Pharisees and the scribes. The complainers. Okay? Those of you that know your Bible, I know many of you know this passage of Scripture. It is the parable of lost things. It's the parable of the lost sheep. It's the parable of the lost silver. And it's the parable of the lost son. Okay? The lost sheep, the one lost sheep, represents the publicans and the sinners that are lost. The one lost 
coin or silver represents the publicans and sinners that are lost. The one lost son, whom we know of as the prodigal son, represents the publicans and sinners who were lost and came home. And in each instance, when the sheep is found, when the silver is found, and when the sun is found, there is rejoicing. However, let's turn the tables as Jesus spake this parable unto them. The 99 sheep represent the Pharisees and the scribes who didn't believe that they were lost. The nine coins represent the Pharisees and the scribes. And the one sanctimonious elder brother in verses 25 through 32 is a perfect representation of the scribes and the Pharisees. And you remember, remember what happened here. The prodigal came home, and we're going to get into that in just a minute. Prodigal came home, and uh, listen, the, the elder brother came in out of the field, and forgive me, probably doing twice as much work because his brother went off and wasted his substance. I understand. But he comes in and says to one of the servants, hey, what's going on? He said, hey, your brother's home and your dad have slain the fatted calf and they're making merry. And he was angry and would not go in. That is a perfect representation of the scribes and the Pharisees. See, again, the key to the entire passage of Scripture is verse number 3. If you get verse number 3 and you understand Jesus is speaking this parable unto the scribes and the Pharisees, and look how it ends there in verse, you know, verse 30 and 31, 32. Here's, here's uh, um, well, verse 29, really. The, the elder brother is talking to his father. The father in this is a picture of God the Father. And here's the elder brother, remember, the Pharisees, the scribes, and he says, and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Listen, the Pharisees were so proud of their self-righteousness, they thought they could talk to God any way they want. Bitter towards people coming to the great physician. They were bitter about it. And look what he says, verse 30. But as soon as this, thy son, was come. Didn't say my brother. He said thy son. Huh? Was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Amazing. And I love, oh, I have a message I preach called what the, what the prodigal's father did right. It's amazing. You know, he didn't go chase the prodigal. But he went out and entreated the elder brother. And here's the father speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees saying, Son, thou art ever with me. Just like those 99 sheep and just like those nine coins. Hmm? Ever with me. And all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. You read that. You understand that interpretation. You could see Jesus saying that to them and then walking away from those Pharisees. Because that's who he's talking to. Application. Back 
When that which is lost is found, there's rejoicing. The lost son, the prodigal son, here, give you application points here, represents that believer that is off in sin and knows it. Talking, Brother John and I were talking last night, just talking about conviction. What it is to be convicted when you're doing wrong. And by the way, sometimes we resist that conviction, don't we? Hmm? You say, oh, not me. Okay, well, the rest of us then, okay? Amen? He's, he's off in the far country. We read verses 11 through uh, 16. We read it there. Verse 13 uh, says he, not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and he wasted his substance. Everything that the father gave him, he wasted. I'm sure he was the life of the party. I'm sure, pastor, he said, hey, drinks are on me tonight. And when he had spent all, comma, by the way, it's always easy to spend all of somebody else's money. You've got to teach your kids that. you got to teach your kids to earn, earn your own money. Why? You'll hang on to it a little bit better. The problem with government is they're so busy spending our money. Yeah. Boy, I knew I'd get an amen on that one. Hallelujah. Must be close to the election. Hallelujah. <laughs> so it says there, and he had spent all there arose a mighty famine. This was, this was a providential event of God like many famines in the Bible were. Again, Jesus is giving a parable here. He's telling us a story. And he began to be in want. What happened? Hey, the money ran out and there was nothing. There was no work. There was no food. So this Jewish boy went and joined himself to a citizen of that far country, and he was sent him into the field to feed swine. You have to understand the Jewish culture to understand how repulsive that is to a Jewish person. Swine was an unclean animal. And then it says this. And here's the, the thrust of our message here. We're right on time. It says in verse 16, he, he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. That's how hungry he was. He's ready to eat pig slop. And no man gave unto him. The life of the party, right? And then it says this, verse 17. Again, remember the, the thought here, heading home, heading home. And when he came to himself, you know what that means? He came, number one, to a realization, a realization regarding his home. It says he came to himself. The famine and the former friends and the far country brought him to the place in his life where he said, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. My father's got servants that have bread enough to spare and I'm going to die with hunger? Forgive me if you could say it this way. He said, what's wrong with me? You know, so I think somebody put it best when they said, you know, when you're flat on your back, the only place you can look is up. I've known people through the years, Brother Mike, and I, I don't understand it. Uh, and again, I'm not being unkind. I just, 
I've known people that have struggled with addictions. One of our precious deacons got uh, eight children, lost one to suicide, and another is just, for the last five years, has just been off and on strung out. And they've helped her when they can, helped her with a hotel room and helped her with this and that. And, but you know what needs to happen? She needs to come to herself. You know, you could, you could very easily say he came to his senses. Huh? He came to his senses. Listen, if you're backslidden tonight, you're going to have to come to a realization that home is better than the hog pen. Home is better than the hog pen. Hey, listen, sin is fun. You say, what? Yeah. Listen, why do you think the bars are packed tonight, even in COVID? Why, why do you think houses of ill repute have people lined up out the door? Because it's fun. Why do you think people go to the liquor stores and, and, and liquor up and have a blast? Why? Because it's fun for a season. And then you got to reap what you sow. And I learned this living out in the country. We got corn all around us. You always reap more than you sow. Put three little seed corns in and you get five, six, seven, eight years of corn. It's the same in our life. The law of the harvest. Sowing and reaping. He came to a realization. He said, what, am, what on earth am I doing? Number two. The backslider must come to the place of realization. Number two, the backslider must come to the place of remembrance. Look there in verse 17. He said, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my fathers, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. See, what do, we, what do we have here? What, what did he remember? I'll tell you what he remembered. He remembered his father's goodness. Brother Tim, he said, my father takes good care of his servants. You know who doesn't take good care of his servants? The devil. Oh, he shows us some real good bait, doesn't he? Dr. John R. Rice used to say, all the devil's apples have worms. Shined up on the outside, and as soon as you take a bite, rotten. Hey, just like that bait, my son Luke, we have a little pond on our property. Uh, it's awesome. My son Luke starts fishing, and uh, listen, he, he puts that piece of bait on the hook, and, and uh, that bait is juicy, and all of a sudden, I'll see him out there, and <laughs> What happened? Boy, that fish saw that bait and didn't see that there was a barbed hook behind it. Hey, listen, you know who's always got a barbed hook? Satan. He remembered, he said, you know, my father's good to his servants. You know what else he remembered? Not only his goodness, he remembered his father's generosity. They didn't just have their daily bread. They had bread enough to spare. 
little extra. Hey, listen, have you thought about that in your own life? I'm talking to somebody that may be backslidden in heart tonight. Listen, you're here on a Friday night. It's pretty obvious you're not backslidden in your, in your uh, body, amen, because you're here. I've known this. You could be faithful but far from the Father. Jesus said that. He, he talked about the Pharisees. He said, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's backslidden. That's what it means to be backslidden. Have your heart far from... He remembered his father's generosity, his goodness. And you know what else he remembered? The father's grace. The father's grace. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, could we apply that in our own life? Could we remember the father's provision in our lives? Anybody got empty cupboards tonight? Probably not. Eh, maybe close. That's all right. Still got some. That's provision. Not only the Father's provision, but think about the Father's pardon in your life. Huh? The fact that you are a child of God is because God has pardoned you because of Jesus Christ. If you're a backslider, you should remember that. If you're not a backslider, you should remember that to keep you from backsliding. Not only pardon, not only provision... How about the Father's place that he has prepared for you? Your home, huh, that we're heading for. Hey, he came to the place of remembrance. He remembered how good, how generous, and how gracious his Father was. Every backslider's got to, they, they have to come to that place of remembrance. They have to come to that place of realization. Number three, they have to come to the place of there's a dirty word, repentance. You know, Brother Mike, repentance isn't just for salvation, but it is for salvation too. Remember what it said in Romans? Boy, we read Romans chapter 1 and we say, boy, does that describe America or what? Does that describe our sinful society or what? And you ought to read chapter 2 says, you, you think those things are bad? You're inexcusable, it says. And then it says this, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. What, what led the prodigal to repentance? Thinking about how good his father was. Thinking about how good his father was. Listen, when I've gotten in sin, you think, you think pastors never sin? Huh. I got, it. I got news for you. The only thing holding up our halos is our horns, amen, okay? Just like you. You don't think you sin, just put a mirror under your nose. If it fogs, you sin. Amen. But I'll tell you what's brought me back every time, Brother Al. It's the goodness of God. And then I think, why did I do that to my father? Realization, remembrance, repentance. What's repentance? Listen, if I'm going to head home, I'm going to have to get on I-90 West. So let's, so let's say that representing, I'm on I-91 South, which represents, especially if you go to Hartford, sin. Amen? 
So I'm on, I'm on I-90 south, heading south, on, or I-91 south. I'm heading south. You know what? All of a sudden, I have a realization and a remembrance. I realize I'm heading the wrong direction. Huh? You ever been there? Wife and I, we used to be able to cut through Canada, Brother Mike. You remember those days? 402, 401, 403, QEW, 290, 190, 90. Amen? I was on the 401, and I missed the 403. Driving along, and I look on my right, and there is this gorgeous, shining city. My wife is so, supposed to be my navigator. That's why we had these problems, amen? Driving along, and I said, I, I bumped her. I said, hey, look at that. I said, I don't, I don't remember seeing that city before. She looked at it. She said, where? And we looked, and we saw on the highway is 401. We, we realized we missed it. She said, well, that's Toronto. We're 50 miles out of the wrong direction. I said, you'll be able to hold this over me the rest of my life. Amen. Hey, listen, you're heading in the wrong direction of sin. You know what you need to do? Turn around. Repent. Repent is this. I'm heading in the wrong direction. I need to head in the right direction. I'm heading in the wrong direction of sin and self and selfishness. I need to repent and head in the right direction if I am ever going to get home. That's repentance. That's repentance. Repentance, remembrance, realization, lastly, resolution. After repentance comes resolution. Read, look at verses 18. Here's what he does. He says, I will arise and go to my Father. That's resolution and attitude. I'm saying, I am going to go home. That's important. By the way, this, see this place right here? These are not just carpeted stairs. These are not just carpeted stairs. This is a sacred place where people do business with God. Now I realize, listen, I, pa I pastor a church that is not, we, our people do not use the altar as much as I would like. And I pastor after 11 years, I've realized people can make decisions in their pews. But I'll tell you the difference between a pew decision and an altar decision. An altar decision, even though nobody knows what decision you made, you made yourself public when you came down here. resolution in attitude, but then he says, he says exactly what I'm going to rise and I'm going to go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned. Boy, that's the heart of repentance right there. Against heaven, that's the heart of repentance right there. It was against God first, then it was against my father. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired. Can you, can you feel the humility in this resolution right here? I'm nothing, I'm nobody. Father, I'd just be glad to be one of your servants and I would be out here starving to death. I know you take good care of them. So in attitude there's resolution, but look at verse 20. What's it say there? After verse 18 said, I will arise and go, verse 20 says what? And he arose and came to his father. You know what that is? That's resolution in attitude and then resolution in action. Some people never do the latter. And you know what happens? Nothing changes. They never go home. 
They stay in the hog pen of backsliding. I will arise and go to my father. Then do it. Do it. I've listened, I've known Christians getting ready to surrender to God. Joshua chapter 3, Pastor, literally getting ready to put their feet in the Jordan River and stop their step and never did and wondered why the waters never parted for them. Wondered why their life was a mess. It's one thing to say, hey, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start reading my Bible. It's another thing to crack your Bible. Hey, I'm going to start carrying gospel tracts. It's another thing to grab some gospel tracts. Resolution. Hey, you know what? Home is a wonderful place. In this case, home was where the Father was. And you, you can read, read the rest of this, this passage on your own. You know, what hap- you know what happened after this resolution? There was restoration. Restoration. That means the Father who didn't go and enable the prodigal and give him an ATM card in the hog pen. Huh? But I think, I, and I'm, Pastor, forgive me for doing this. I tell guest preachers not to do this at our church, but I'm going to do it here. You know what he was doing? He, every day he was looking for his son. Every day, probably with tears in his eyes, every day. He, and then finally one day he saw, I don't know, Brother Mike, maybe he had a, a shuffle in his step, maybe a limp or how, how beat down he was and how tired he was. But the Bible says when he was a great way off, his father saw him. You know why? Because he was looking for him. You know, the father's always looking for you to come home. At times in my life, I've been backslidden. Fathers. And he ran to him. Hugged him. Kissed him. And forgive me, I bet he smelled like hog slop. Yep. Yep. I bet he smelled like the filth of the world you know what when you take a step to God he runs to you but here's the question the ultimate question are we satisfied in the hog pen or is it time to head home that's it that's it your Christian life will be whether you were satisfied in the hog pen of the world or whether you enjoyed home. You know what he says? Come home. Come home. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Brother Howard, if you could find that, Lord, I'm coming home. I don't know what page that is. I want to invite you tonight as we, I know we've still got Sunday, and I'm, I'm looking forward to preaching all day Sunday, and I've got uh, messages for Sunday, and but this is the quote-unquote official close of the revival. And some of you have been here for every service. Thank you so much. I was joking with Brother Howard. I said, if someone hears to come hear me once, it's a blessing. If they come a second time, it's a miracle. Amen. Listen. The atmosphere is thick for making the right decisions tonight. Some of you have not been in your Bible. You have not been praying. You have not been faithful to church. 
Don't get mad at me. Get right with God. You know why? Because I can take my Bible and I can show you each one of those things that I just mentioned is absolutely God's will for you. Read your Bible every day, absolutely. Search the scriptures. Pray. Pray without ceasing. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Go to church. Be faithful to the house of God. Not just once in a while. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So much the more exhorting one another as you see the day approaching. Not the time for less church, time for more church. Not the time for the pastor to say, I wonder where everybody is. Time for him to say, glory, everybody's here. Time to come home. Time to come home. Time to head home. Listen, get, get out of that hog pen. It could be, listen to me, it could be the hog pen of bitterness. It could be the hog pen of unforgiveness in your life. Something happened way back when and, and you're, you're just dwelling on it all the time and it dominates your life. Listen to me. Get, listen, get out of that hog pen. We used to have an instructor in Bible college and he said, your trials will make you better or bitter and you get to choose. Think of all that Joseph went through. What did his trials do for him? Made him better. Took him to the throne of Egypt. Christian, time to come home. Listen, if you're not saved, it is time to come home. Quit dodging. Quit ducking. Trust Jesus Christ. Turn to Him and Him alone for salvation. He'll save you. He'll give you life and life more abundantly. Father, bless now the invitation as pastor comes. May not one grieve, quench, or resist what you're trying to do in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand.